Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to our Sunday evening service here at Lakewood Bible Chapel. Uh, open your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1 and stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we'll start this evening in verse 19. And we'll, we'll do verses uh, 19 to 28 this evening, and then we'll pick up next time and do 29 to 34. This is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Therefore they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. This one is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The title for this evening's sermon is, The Voice Prepares the Way for the Word. Up to this point in the Gospel of John, we've been studying what is commonly called the prologue, in which John establishes the foundational principles upon which the rest of the Gospel is written. And he does this in order to accomplish the purpose that John has in mind for this Gospel, which we've heard multiple times already, and he explains in John chapter 20, verse 31, which reads, "...but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God." and that believing you may have life in his name. John intends for the words that he has written, the, the words that we've already studied, the words that we're considering this evening, and, and all the words that follow, he ultimately intends for these words to have a saving effect on the reader. And so as we consider our text this evening, and as we consider the fact that in these verses, the author of this gospel, John, who is the apostle John, is calling his first witness to the stand to testify about Jesus Christ. And in doing so, John is bringing this witness, John the Baptist, before us with that same twofold purpose that was explained in chapter 20. He's presenting John the Baptist so that we may believe in Christ for eternal life. So with this in mind, let's start by taking a look at verses 19 to 21 in our text this evening. Verses 19 and 21 read as follows, And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. In verse 19, we encounter a major shift in this gospel. The, the author, John the Apostle, has just spent 
the first 18 verses laying the groundwork, the foundation upon which the rest of this book is based. And now he moves on to explain those historical events that transpired during the first week of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And John's account of this first week starts with a mere man. A mere man often referred to as John the Baptist, which interestingly in uh, the book of John is never actually, this name, John the Baptist, is never actually attributed to him in this this particular gospel. Uh, But this isn't the first time that we've heard of John the Baptist in, in this gospel. We first came across John the Baptist in verses 6 to 8, which read, There was a man having been sent from God whose name was John. He, He came to be a witness, to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And he's mentioned again in verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has been ahead of me, for he existed before me. Now there's a common thread through these verses. In verse 7, we read that John came as a witness, and this word witness is repeated twice more in verse 7. This is mentioned again in verse 15, that John bore witness and cried out. And finally, we see it in verse 19 in our text this evening. And this is the witness of John. John the author of this gospel, John the apostle, is repeating this over and over and over. And when we see something repeated like this in Scripture, it tells us that the author is trying to emphasize something. And here, in the first chapter of this gospel, the author is telling us that the purpose of this man, John the Baptist, is that he's going to say, that he's got something to say, that he's been sent to testify about something, that this man John is to bear testimony about something of utmost importance. This word witness literally means to solemnly assert something, offering firsthand authentication of the fact, often concerning grave or important matters. And so the obvious and natural question is what grave and important matter is this man John a witness of? What is it that, it, that he is solemnly asserting? What fact? Is he offering firsthand authentication of? Well, that's what the next 15 verses are about. As verse 19 says, this is the witness of John. So clearly the author of this gospel has been preparing us. The author of this gospel has been giving hints. He's been laying a trail of breadcrumbs as to the answer to this very important question. What is the testimony? What is the witness of this man John. And as we study verses 19 to 34, we'll find the answer to this question. We'll learn what the witness of this man, John, is. To start, let's look back at verse 7, where we see that John came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Notice further in verses 14 and 15 that we see that John bore witness about him who is the Word. John bore witness about him who became flesh and dwelt Among us, John bore witness about the one whose glory we behold. John bore witness about the one who is the only begotten from the Father, and he bears witness to the one who is full of grace and truth. And these are just the hints, just the breadcrumbs along the way that the author of this gospel has placed before us as we get to our passage this evening. 
where the witness of John, the testimony of this mere man, is made fully known. And so in verses 19 to 34, we are given the details of the grave and important matter for which this man, John, is bearing witness. And this comes about because the Jews had grown concerned about this man, John's activities. John was gaining a lot of attention. When we see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, which reads, All the region of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And so the Jews sent a delegation with the mission of finding out just who this man is. and then reporting their findings back to these Jews in Jerusalem who sent them. Now, this term Jew is not used very much in the Synoptic Gospels. But here in John, it is used 71 times. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it is a term that refers to those who are in opposition to Jesus Christ. This delegation sent by the Jews was made up of priests and Levites. And these men came to where John was preaching and baptizing, which verse 29 explains is in Bethany, beyond the Jordan. And they asked John, Who are you? It is implied in the question, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah that has been promised? It is implied because there was an expectation that the Messiah would soon come. And this question was asked with that expectation in mind. And we see John's answer in verse 20, which reads, And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is a fascinating verse because in it we see two things. First, we see the simple answer in response to the Jewish expectation. John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. And in this verse, we are also supplied with a sort of commentary about this answer of John's. We're supplied this by the author of the gospel. The author of this gospel explains that when John the Baptist denied being the Christ, that when he denied being the long-expected Messiah, he did it in such a way that he confessed and did not deny, but confessed that this was the case. The author is emphasizing something here, and J.C. Ryle also observed this in these words. J.C. Ryle says, This is a peculiar form of speech, implying a very positive, unmistakable, emphatic asservation. It gives the idea of a man shrinking with holy indignation from the very thought of being regarded as the Christ. The last thing that John the Baptist wanted to do was draw attention to himself and away from Christ. These men asked, who are you? And John's response was, I am not the Christ in the strongest terms possible. The Jews persisted. Next they asked him, what then are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And finally they asked him, are you the prophet? And he said, no. The men in this delegation asked John if he was the Christ, if he was Elijah, and if he was the prophet. Why these specific men? Why the Christ? Why Elijah? Why the prophet? Well, the reason 
The reason is that each of these individuals play an important role in relation to the expectation of the coming Messiah. Elijah is important because of a prophecy given in Malachi chapter 4, which told the Jews that Elijah the prophet would be sent in advance of Yahweh. Malachi 4, 5 reads as follows, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. And so if John the Baptist isn't the Christ, but is the Elijah spoken of in Malachi, then in their eyes their hopes had come true for the very soon great and awesome day of Yahweh would be upon them and they would be rescued from their Roman occupation. But John responded in the negative. He was not the Christ. He was not Elijah. But wait, John was Elijah. Jesus even said so in Matthew eleven fourteen when he says, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. So what does John mean when he tells these Jews that he wasn't Elijah? Remember that Elijah was one of only two men who did not die, but instead were taken up to be with the Lord. The question then that these Jews were were asking was, has this man, Elijah, come back? Are you that man who was taken and now returned? And John wasn't. We know this because John was the cousin of Jesus, born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth was barren and thus could not have children, but an angel came to Zechariah and told them that they would have a son and they were to call him John. And in Luke 1.17, the angel says the following about John, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So John was not Elijah, the man returned. But instead, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, which is not an unfamiliar concept. If you remember, when Elijah was taken up, he said to Elisha in 2 Kings 2.9, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha responds, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. One commentator makes the following observation about this request that Elisha made to have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And I think it sheds light on how John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He says, Elisha wanted Elijah's spirit. By spirit, he did not simply mean Elijah's disposition or temperament, but in a deeper sense, the Holy Spirit. What gave Elijah his spirit was the supernatural presence and gifting of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Elisha craved. He was not interested merely in Elijah's staff or his parchments or his renown or even his cloak. When it came time to be written into Elijah's will, Elisha chose a spiritual inheritance. His deepest desire was to have the living power of the Holy Spirit in his life and ministry. And I think it is in a similar sense that John the Baptist came in the power and spirit of Elijah. He came really in the power and ministry of of the Holy Spirit, to preach repentance and to baptize and thus prepare the way for the introduction of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to the Jewish people and ultimately to the world. So John wasn't Elijah, at least in the sense that these men were expecting. And so their final question is posed, are you the prophet? And what is implied here is, are you the prophet that was to come in the likeness of Moses? which is spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, which reads, 
Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, you shall listen to him. Some commentators argue that this prophet, spoken of by Moses, is not who these men were referring to. Because the Messiah and this prophet are one and the same. And John has already made it clear that he's not the Christ. So why would he be the prophet? But the reality is that the Jewish people had not made that connection. The Jewish people had not figured out that the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy was one and the same with the prophesied Messiah. This is evident when you look at chapters like Acts chapter 3, when Peter was preaching the gospel to the Jewish people, and in that sermon he connects Jesus Christ as as the Messiah to the fulfillment of what Moses spoke of regarding Yahweh, sending this prophet all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. Acts 3 verses 19 to 22 read as follows, And this is Peter preaching. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers to him You shall listen to everything he says to you. Tom Constable explains that this prophet was prophesied to bring new revelation from God and eventually lead the Israelites in a new exodus and overcome their oppressors. The Jews incorrectly failed to identify this prophet with Messiah. And John's answer to this final question, his answer to, are you the prophet, is a short no. It's interesting to see that John's answers to these inquiring Jews get shorter and shorter. When asked, who are you? He responds with five words, I am not the Christ. When asked, what then? Are you Elijah? He responds with three words, I am not. And when asked, are you the prophet? He responds with one simple word, no. John was none of these men. And yet with regard to Elijah and the prophet, he was in a sense, not exactly, but in a sense, both of these men. For he came in the spirit of Elijah, and he was indeed the last of the prophets. For like the previous prophets of old, the word of God came to John in in a like manner. As we see in Luke 1-2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. What's more, Jesus confirmed that John the Baptist was a prophet, as we read in Matthew 11-9. Speaking of Jesus, speaking of John, Jesus says, But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. But here's the point. These men came to John and were expecting him to be the Christ. They they were expecting him to be Elijah incarnate. They were expecting him to be the prophet that was to come in the likeness of Moses, and he didn't meet their expectations. He didn't conform to that which they wanted him to. To be. On the contrary, John was sent by God to prepare the way for Christ. John was sent by God in the spirit and power of Elijah. And John was sent by God as more than a prophet to preach a message of repentance and faith, baptizing those who would turn from their sin. And these Jewish men missed it. They didn't see who John really was, much like their own Messiah who came to what was his own, the Jewish people. And those who were his own did not receive him. 
So too, they did not respond to John's call to repent. They did not respond to John's call to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Christ. They would only accept John on their own terms, much like they would only accept Christ on their own terms. And the question that we must consider is, what are the terms upon which we are willing to accept Christ? Are there some preconditions of ours that if Christ, if Yahweh does not meet, that we would reject Him? Are there certain things that you or I would not be okay with if those things were true about Yahweh? Or instead, are we willing to embrace Christ? Are, are we willing to embrace Yahweh, the one true and holy God, on His terms, no matter what our idea of who He should be is? Are we willing to let God be God and worship Him nonetheless? Are we willing to place our ideas and preconceived notions of, of what we think He should be at His feet and rest in the knowledge that He is God and we are not and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. These men sent by the Jews, these priests and Levites, expected that the Messiah would come as a conquering king and not as a suffering servant. These men could only conceive of Elijah returning incarnate and not as John who came in the spirit of Elijah. These men misunderstood that the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy was not, was not one and the same with the Messiah. And because of their preconceived notions about things, about how things had to be, because of their wrong expectations, because of their misunderstandings, they missed out on it all. And I think what we take away from this is that we must be a people of the Word and be fully submitted to it. And therefore, we must be careful of imposing our own ideas into the Word. And in, and in this, then, we must be a people who, being fully submitted to the Word as our chief and final authority in all things, we must be a people who accept and live our lives by all that the Word says, rather than being okay with some parts, but saying we can't believe that other parts are true. Interestingly, John has not really provided these men sent by the Jews. Uh, these men, as verse 24 explains, sent from the Pharisees with an answer. All John has told them is who he is not. They still don't know who John actually is. And so they switch tactics. We see this in verse 22, which reads, Therefore they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Instead of asking John if he is who they think he is, they change their tactics and ask John directly, well, well, then who are you? And we see John's answer in verse 23. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Here John is quoting something that these men would be very, very familiar with. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. And from the same account recorded in the Gospel of Luke, we know that he also quotes not only verse 3, but verses 3 to 5 in Isaiah 40. These verses read as follows, A voice is calling. Prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of Yahweh 
has spoken. So these men ask, who are you? They ask, what do you say about yourself? And John's reply is, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. On the contrary, I'm a voice. Just a voice. He's none of these other great men. Just a man who, in his obscurity as a mere man, is not meant to be seen, but instead is only meant to be heard. And even in the hearing of his voice, he he is pointing to another. He is preparing the way for the Lord. In John chapter 3, we see John the Baptist reaffirm this in his own words. He says, You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. And the question we have to ask in light of this is, are we living our lives as Christians? Are we living as witnesses to the gospel? Are we as ambassadors of Christ, living in such a way that we are pointing people to Christ? Or instead, are we drawing attention to ourselves? Thomas mentioned this in his sermon a few weeks ago, and I think it bears repeating. This is something that is a real problem in the church today. This is a real problem, particularly with those who are leaders in the church today. Instead of doing everything possible to deflect all attention given to them toward Christ, many leaders, many pastors instead make themselves the focal point. They draw attention to themselves rather than point others to Christ. Matthew Henry has some words for such men. He says, The ministers of Christ must remember that they are not Christ and therefore must not usurp his powers and prerogatives, nor assume the praises due to him only. They are not Christ, and therefore must not lord it over God's heritage, nor pretend to a dominion over the faith of Christians. They they cannot create grace and peace. They cannot enlighten, convert, quicken, comfort, for they are not Christ. Matthew Henry continues, Those that humble and abase themselves thereby confess Christ and give honor to him. But those that will deny themselves, but those that will not deny themselves do in effect deny Christ. And let me just say that if those of us who are leaders in this church ever begin to draw attention away from Christ to ourselves, call us to an account. And if we do not repent, find someplace else to worship. For if that is the case, we have lost the way. For only Christ deserves all honor, glory, and praise. As as one pastor says, a good teacher like John the Baptist clears the way, declares the way, and then gets out of the way. John was not the Christ. John was the voice that spoke of the Christ. John was the voice that prepared the way for the Lord. He was sent to prepare the way for Christ in the hearts of men by, by making smooth the road to salvation by making every mountain low and bringing up every valley such that the heart of man was primed for what was to come. Such that the sin that stood between man and God was acknowledged and turned from. John was sent to prime the pump of the hearts of men 
in preparation for the actual coming of the foretold Messiah, for the actual coming of the prophet that was to come in the likeness of Moses. And now in verse 25 of our text this evening, we see the final question of these men who were sent from the Jews in Jerusalem, men sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25 reads, And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Baptism, in the sense that these men are familiar with as Jews, was a practice of cleansing performed when someone who is not Jewish became a follower of Judaism uh, when a Gentile would, in in essence, become a Jew. And this was also something, by the way, which is typically performed by the proselyte convert themselves rather than being baptized by someone else. But, But the baptisms that John was performing were quite different. First and foremost, John was baptizing Jews which in the eyes of these men would have been offensive. These men would have never accepted the idea that a Jew needed to be cleansed. Second, John was performing the baptisms on these people, not the people themselves. And so in the mind of this delegation, John is practicing a new kind of baptism, and thus his actions should be based on some sort of higher authority. This is why they're asking him if he was the Christ, Elijah, or the prophet, because these men would have had such an authority. Note John's response to this final question given in verses 26 to 27. John answers them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. This one is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Here John in no uncertain terms, tells these Jewish men, tells these Levites and priests, these men sent from the Pharisees, men who would be extremely familiar with Isaiah 40, and men who would know about the voice John was identifying with. He's telling these men that the authority upon which he is performing these baptisms, the authority upon which he is calling for repentance from sin, is none other than the one who comes after the voice. In Isaiah 40, it is none other than Yahweh himself. It is none other than the God that these men claim to worship. Remember what Isaiah 43 says. A voice is calling, prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert a highway for our God. There is no greater authority to appeal to. And John, John the Baptist is saying, You want to know on whose authority I do what I do? You want to know upon whose authority I baptize these Jews? On whose authority I preach repentance from sin? John is saying it is on the authority of the one who comes after the voice, the one who comes after me, the one whom I am preparing the way for. It is on the authority of Yahweh God. But they didn't know him. They didn't know Yahweh. They didn't know God, and therefore they didn't accept that John was the voice. And they didn't acknowledge the authority upon which this voice operated. John says to these men, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Later in John, Jesus says the following words to another group of Jews. John 10, 14 reads, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. 
And a few verses later, he says in John 10, verses 26 to 27, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. These men should know who their Messiah is. These men should know what their scripture says about who the Christ would be. And instead, when he was standing among them, John says they didn't know him. So how do we, as those who claim to be Christians, make sure that we don't make the same mistake? For we as believers should know our Christ. We should know our Savior. We we should know the one who became a man who dwelt among us, who, who died on the cross for our sins so that we might be with him for an eternity. We should know him better than all else. So how do we know him so that we don't miss him? Well, the answer is simple, and it's something we've actually already mentioned. It's through the Word of God in the inspired Scriptures that Christ is revealed to us. Therefore, we should hold fast to our convictions and never compromise on being a people of the Word. And these men who were Jews, these men who had the words of the prophets, these men who had Isaiah 40 and thus knew that the voice would prepare the way for Yahweh God did not know Christ. Because although they had the Scriptures, they did not know the Scriptures in a way where they had submitted themselves to the Scriptures fully. Instead, they had their own preconceived notions of who the Messiah would be, and the message that John was preaching, one where Jews were going through a ritual cleansing that in their minds only applied to the dirty Gentiles, one where the call to repentance from sin couldn't apply to them. No, that couldn't be their Messiah. But it was, and they missed it because they not only didn't know the word, but more importantly, they had not submitted themselves to it. So for us, let us not only be lovers of the word, let's be lovers of the word, but let us love it so that we are also fully submitted to it. And if this is the case, then we will truly know the Christ and not make the same mistake. And these men sent by the, as these men sent by the Jews in Jerusalem. And speaking of this man that these Jews didn't know, this man who came after John, who came after the voice, and thus was Yahweh God, <clears throat> just to emphasize the point, just to make clear that John does indeed mean what they think he says. And just to emphasize that this man that can't come that comes after John is indeed God, John says the following, This one is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. This image that is described where John says that he is unworthy to untie the strap of the sandal is an an illustration used by John to convey how insignificant John is in relation to the Messiah, how menial He is in relation to the Christ, how debased and low he is in relation to Yahweh God. In our day and age, we won't relate to this illustration like those who lived in the time of Christ, but it is a very powerful illustration once you understand the cultural context. In the time of Jesus, a house slave would be asked to do all kinds of tasks, but there was one task that even the lowest of the low house slaves would not be required to perform, and that was to untie the strap of their master's sandals. It was something that was considered too low for even the slave of the home. And so here John is saying 
that his worthiness compared to that of the one whom he is preparing the way for, his worthiness compared to the one who comes after him is so low that untying the strap of his sandal would be too high of a calling for him. It would be too great of a privilege that it would be so far above him that even the thought of it was indeed unthinkable to John. This man is none other than Yahweh God that John is speaking of. And it is upon this ultimate authority that John is preaching the message of repentance from sin. It is upon this supreme authority that John is baptizing Jews in the preparation of the hearts and minds of men for the entrance of the greatest man whom ever lived into the events of history. And the question that you and I must ask ourselves this evening is, are you like the Jews who didn't know their Messiah Or are you like John, who once he found out who the Messiah was, embraced him? And if you are like John, and thus one who knows the Christ, then is your life one that points to Christ and not yourself? Is your life one that magnifies Christ and not yourself? Is your life one that points others to the only one that can save them? If you are more like the Jews, if you don't know Christ personally, I implore you to set aside all your preconceived notions of who you think God should be and acknowledge and confess your sin. Turn away from your sin in repentance and turn toward Christ in humility. Embrace Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Christ came to die on that cross of Calvary so that His own might be saved. As John the Baptist preached, repent from your sin Embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior and come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in total submission to Him. And you too can be rescued from your sin and live in the certain hope that you will be with Christ forever. And do it this evening. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Now I invite Noel back up to lead us in a final song as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just... Help us to know Christ, Lord. Help us to be people of the Word, people who not only love your Word, but are submitted to it, Lord. And more importantly, most importantly, Lord, I pray that our lives would would not draw attention away from Christ, but would point to Him. Lord, help us to live in that way. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.